Welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's sermon podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. For those of you that are trying to decide whether you want to be here for Christmas Eve or do it in your pajamas at home, we welcome you. You can wear your pajamas here. That would be fantastic. And we're going to have candy. So, you know, when we were talking about our Christmas Eve service, uh, we were talking about what it used to look like. And this was like when, when we were kids. And when I was a kid, I didn't go to church, so I have no idea what they were talking about. But apparently, when some of y'all used to go to church, you used to get like little paper bags with like an orange in it and a candy cane and some candy, and it was folded over and stapled. So, so we're going to have that. So it's going to be really good. It's going to be really good. So join us for that. We want it to feel uh, a lot like coming home for Christmas. Um, so it's going to be really good. It's going to be a really, really good time. Well, my name's Greg Clark, uh, and uh, I'm the lead pastor here, and excited to, to have you join us this morning, because today is a joyful day. Today is a joyful day. My wife, Farrell, has brought a family tradition to our family, where on Christmas Eve, uh, we do an amazing spread of food. We do hors d'oeuvres, appetizers, um, and, and dessert, like treats, like squares and stuff like that, and it's fantastic. If you remember a few weeks ago, I talked to my, about my family's tradition where we had a lot of food at Thanksgiving. Well, this is uh, the, the Chapman version of that, where they have a ton of food at Christmas Eve, and it's quite exciting. Um, months ago, a feral already began making her Christmas treats. She makes these amazing fruitcakes. They're just fantastic. Now, if you've ever had a fruitcake and you've thought, I'd rather not, uh, this would be a different type of fruitcake because these, these are unbelievable fruitcakes. They're really quite amazing. Uh, so she made eight of them, and uh, we sometimes give them out to people and stuff like that, but we actually, I think our family eats through about six of them. It's pretty awesome. We haven't eaten any yet, but uh, we're going to give it a go. Uh, she also just last week made up these things called Venetians. I don't know if anybody's heard of them before. They're like tri-colored squares. They're like a bunch of layers of square, and they're like really awesome. They're fantastic. If you'd like some fruitcake or Venetians, we will bring some with us, I think, maybe to Christmas Eve. So on the, on the lowdown, on the sly, okay? So we'll maybe share a couple of those. So don't, don't, don't tell anybody that we're going to do that. All right. Farrell's mom, so Farrell brings a lot of these squares. Farrell's mom uh, cooks up things like uh, meatballs and, and puff pastry, and, and we have a shrimp ring, um, and my personal favorite, the cheese ball. The cheese ball. What an amazing invention, hey? Like, what a, like just a fantastic invention, the cheese ball. Uh, and since, uh, since we have so much food at Christmas Eve, we can't eat it all, I'm the one that gets to take home the cheese ball at the end of our Christmas Eve celebration. It's an amazing thing. It's wonderful. But I remember a few years ago on Christmas Eve, we had a cheese ball. Hardly anybody ate it because we like to actually bring out like five or six different types of cheeses and it's all wonderful. And hardly anybody touched this cheese ball. So I got to take home an almost full cheese ball, which was wonderful. So I stuck it in a little Tupperware dish. 
I pushed it into the back of my fridge so that my kids wouldn't get at it. So I kind of hid it behind some stuff so nobody would know it was there. And I had this cheese ball in the back of my fridge that I was so excited about, so super excited about it. And I thought about that cheese ball almost every day. Now, you shouldn't eat a cheese ball every day, and so I didn't. I didn't. I kind of held back, and I kind of tried not to eat the cheese ball. And so I actually just tried not to think about it, but I would think about it every single day, this amazing cheese ball back there. And days went by. A week or so went by, and I thought about that little cheese ball sitting in the back of my fridge. Now, there were some days that I was just too busy to, to consider sitting down and having the cheese ball, and there are some days that I totally forgot about the cheese ball happening. And honestly, after a couple of weeks, I kind of lost sight of the cheese ball. Now, I'm no food safety expert, and so I don't know how long you can leave things in the back of your fridge before you shouldn't eat them any longer. Usually when I pull something out of the fridge that I think might be a little sketchy, I'll ask Farrell, is this, is this still good? And she'll say, well, smell it. And I'll say, why don't you smell it for me? That'd be fantastic. So anyhow, I've, I've been thinking about this cheese ball off and on for a number of weeks at this point. And I was so excited for that cheese ball sitting in the back of my fridge. And I had not touched it. I had not touched it since Christmas. I was so excited about it. But a few weeks had gone by. And I don't know how long your average cheese ball is supposed to last. But one day, a several weeks after Christmas, it was maybe pushing the end of January, I, I went to the fridge, and I dug out that cheese ball, and I was ready. I had my crackers out. I had my little cheese ball knife out. I was ready to enjoy this cheese ball. Now, you're probably smarter than I am, and you know kind of what's going to happen here. But I finally had the time to sit down and enjoy that cheese ball. And when I pulled it out, the cheese ball was no longer edible. Even I could tell with my unfancy nose, that it had sat in the back of the fridge for way too long. Oh, what a sad day that was. I had waited too long to enjoy the cheese ball. I think I cried a little bit of a tear as I thought about the waste of that cheese ball. How many days had gone by that I had thought about eating that cheese ball and longed for it, and yet here I was with no cheese ball. No? You guys, you guys got to be sad. Oh, come on, come on. <laughs> sad. But as I think about that story of the wasted cheese ball, I mean, I had to throw it in the rubbish, kind of Tupperware and all, like just gone. But as I think about that story, I think about how many things I have available to me right now, not just material things, but things like joy and hope and peace, all this good, good stuff that I'm not taking advantage of right now. I think about how many Tupperware containers of joy I have sitting in the back of my fridge right now, that just sitting there, not doing anybody any good. How many really good things are getting old and moldy because I'm not taking them out and using them? And how about you? If you were to consider what you've got sitting in the back of your fridge right now, and not your literal fridge, but kind of the fridge of your soul, the stuff that's sitting back there that's stuck in a Tupperware container that you've not taken out for a long time, joy that have been, has been locked up in the back of your refrigerator for quite a while, what's sitting back there? I think one of the tragedies of the church is that we describe being a Christian mostly in terms of what's going to happen 
after we die. We, we talk often about this, this idea of, of something that is, that is far off in the future and not something that is in the right now. And the sad part about it is that while the church often talks about stuff that's going to happen way on in the future, Jesus often spoke about stuff that was happening right there in the right now. Because Jesus changes things not just for the far-off future. He changes things in the right now. Today is the Advent celebration of joy. And not just joy after we die far off in the sweet by and by, but joy which is available for us right in the here and now. Joy which has come to us in the form of a baby. I love the gospel account of, the, of, the, of Christmas that focuses in on the shepherds. I love the shepherds. Here's the gospel account that, that comes from the book of Luke. That speaks about the shepherds. In Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 14. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock at night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood near them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And so the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly army of angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among people with whom he is pleased." Can you imagine being one of those shepherds? You're out in the, the middle of a, of a dark field. You're off outside of the city, and you're just probably laying down because it's late at night. You're keeping an ear out for, for what's happening with your sheep. You're aware of whether there's any predators or anything around you. When suddenly, oh, whatever, whatever sound an angel makes, right? I have no idea. It's something. Sometimes when you watch movies, they sound very wonderful, right? And there's harps and stuff. But at this point, I think it's probably pretty terrifying because the first thing the angel says is, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Good news of great joy. How odd and how strange that this great message would come, that some of the first people who would come to would be these lowly shepherds. Shepherds were not uh, the, the richest. Shepherds were not the cleanest. Shepherds were certainly uh, not the most wonderful people around. They were usually kind of like us, sort of like just people. Why would this message come to these night watch shepherds? Well, because it is a message of good news, of great joy for all the people, for all the people, even the shepherds. Now, in this account, Luke records that the, the shepherds have this interaction with this angel. They, they see the multitude of angels in the sky, and as the angels disappear, here's what happens. It says, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off. 
What an interesting thought, don't you think? I mean, think about what these shepherds are doing. These night watch shepherds are watching their flocks by night, right? I mean, this is their job, is to stay with the flock of sheep and to take care of them. Going to Bethlehem means leaving behind their sheep. Anything could happen to them. They're out there for a purpose. And I don't know about you, but there had to be some consideration for the sheep. There had to be some conversation. Someone, some of the shepherds must have said, but what about the sheep? It would have been perfectly understandable, I think, for them to wait until the day, till the day shift shepherds showed up, till the next group shows up. And at that point, leave the, the, leave the sheep in good hands and head off to see this amazing thing. Certainly, baby Jesus was not going to be going anywhere. They could have waited a few more hours. But that's not what actually happens. Instead of taking this good news and sticking it into a Tupperware jar and sticking it in the back of their fridge, the shepherds immediately go to Bethlehem. They come to the conclusion that they are going to drop, they're going to drop everything they've got, everything, and go see this little Savior. So they hurry off right away to Bethlehem to see the right now good news of great joy. Jesus, newly born, lying in a manger. After the shepherds go and see this amazing, miraculous sight, here's what happens. In Luke chapter 2, again in verse 17, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. They didn't immediately go back to the sheep. What a strange thing, don't you think? They've left the sheep out outside of town somewhere. They've gone into town, leaving their duties behind. They've seen this baby. And the first thing they do is they go out and start telling other people about this amazing thing. These shepherds become the very first missionaries. Overwhelmed with joy at what they had experienced, they went out in that same joy and they spread the word. Overwhelmed with the joy that they were experiencing. Now, while these shepherds were some of the first to spread the joyous word about Jesus' birth, there was another there was another person who experienced the joy of Jesus much earlier than his birth. Earlier in Luke's gospel, uh, Luke tells the story of when Mary goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who is six months pregnant with John. Now, this is the same John who is called John the Baptizer. He's the prophet who baptizes Jesus later in the gospel. So Jesus and him meet up again. John's mission in life was to prepare the way for Jesus. Did, did you know that Jesus and John were cousins? Isn't that awesome? I think it's just fantastic. So Mary, freshly pregnant with Jesus, like, like very freshly pregnant with Jesus, goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who is six months pregnant with John. And here's what happens. Luke chapter 1. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. How cool is that? John the baptizer, who has come to prepare the way for Jesus, leaps 
for joy in the presence of the tiny, newly formed baby Jesus still in Mary's womb. I mean, at this point, Jesus is so freshly made in Mary's womb. He's probably just a few cells clumped together at this moment. Like it's so early on, it's so early on that there's, there's not much there, but a few little cells clumped together. And John, even though there's just a few cells clumped together, that's Jesus. John leaps for joy in his mother's womb. Isn't that cool? That's so cool. While the shepherds were some of the first missionaries, the very first person who recognizes Jesus Christ and leaps for joy is a yet-to-be-born baby. I just find that fantastic. So awesome. So awesome. Now, here's something else that I found that was also, like, just adds to the coolness factor of what just happened. In the New Testament, uh, the New Testament is written in Greek, and the most common word for the for the, the most common Greek word for joy is kara. It, it means great joy. Like it's a good word for joy. It means great joy. This is what the angels say. I bring you good news of kara, great joy. It's a fantastic word. But there are a few times when a different word for joy is used, and, and this this time with John uh, is one of those times. The baby John who leaps in Elizabeth's belly leaps with agaliasis joy, which is a leaping, flamboyant, unhindered, exceeding joy. It's like Kara times a hundred. It's the picture of joy which cannot be contained. It's not like Elizabeth just felt this little rumble in her tummy. You, you moms have experienced some of that sometimes, right? That little rumble when a baby moves. It's like John just moves with such jumping and leaping that Elizabeth says it is a galeasis joy. This leaping, flamboyant, unhindered, exceeding joy. It's, it's reminiscent of another word that's used in the Old Testament for rejoice. There's a Hebrew word used in the Old Testament that is similar to the Greek word agaliasis. It's the Hebrew word gil. Uh, We find gil a handful of times in the Old Testament, but there is one place in particular that is connected to this moment with Luke's account of John's leaping, flamboyant, unhindered, exceeding joy. So back in the Old Testament, there was a prophet named Zephaniah. And prophesying of the future salvation of Israel, Zephaniah says this in Zephaniah chapter 3. He's prophesying the words of God. So in Zephaniah chapter 3, starting in verse 14, here's what the prophet prophesies. He says, Sing, daughter Zion, shout aloud, Israel, be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Now, this prophecy is one of the prophecies that points to the coming of Jesus Christ. The God who saves, the mighty warrior who saves, the one who's going to come and save Israel and the rest of the world. But the really exciting part of this prophecy is in that last line. He will take great delight in you. 
In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Again, this, this Hebrew word for rejoice is unlike the normal word for rejoice. This is the Hebrew word gil, which means leaping, flamboyant, unhindered joy. I love this part. It actually is, is meant to, to draw your mind to a young, overexcited goat. Isn't that cool? Like when the word gill is used, the mind is supposed to be drawn to what a, a young, overexcited goat looks like when he's leaping about in unhindered joy. Which means this verse describes the Lord our God leaping and dancing over us with delightful singing, rejoicing over us, rejoicing over us. This verse could read like this. He, the Lord your God, will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will dance with unhindered joy over you with singing. Isn't that wonderful? Like, that's really good. That's really good. The Lord your God is not just okay with you. Maybe you have a, a picture of God in your mind where he's a stern disciplinarian where he's angry all the time, or he's frustrated with his people all the time, or he's just kicking over stuff everywhere because he's just so mad at the world. That's not God. He does not just tolerate your presence. In his love, the Lord your God delights over you. He rejoices over you with singing and dancing. Now, don't just stick this in a little Tupperware container and throw it in the back of your fridge, okay? Let this soak into you a little bit. Your God, your God dances over you. You, who are made in his image, he made you. He knit you together in your mother's womb. You who he seeks after with all his strength, he longs for you. You who he sent his only son to save, he wants you with him. You who he loves, the Lord your God, dances and sings over you with delight. Turn to the person next to you and say, God dances over you with delight. Amen. Now just draw that. Draw that together. This Zephaniah prophecy that the Lord your God dances over you with delight. Draw that together with this passage in Luke. In this prophetic Old Testament passage, the Lord your God, who comes to save, who is Jesus Christ, dances over us, leaping with exceeding joy. And now this Jesus, who dances over us with leaping, exceeding joy, resides in the womb of Mary as she visits Elizabeth. And even though Jesus is just a few cells in Mary's womb, the yet-to-be-born baby prophet John leaps with exceeding joy over the arrival of the one who leaps with exceeding joy over him. 
Listen again. The yet-to-be-born baby prophet John leaps with exceeding joy over the arrival of the one who leaps with exceeding joy over him. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? We sing the song, Joy to the World, the Lord is Come. When we sing that, we often think, yes, yay, you know, we have joy now. But it's twofold. God's joy has come upon the world and we experience joy. The God who leaps over us with exceeding joy, we get to leap over with exceeding joy. Isn't that wonderful? So wonderful. What a gift we've been given at Christmas. The gift of the joy bringer, joy in the flesh, Jesus. What a gift. Now, maybe you're here today and you're kind of like one of those shepherds. You've been minding your own business, working the night shift, just kind of doing your thing. And maybe you're not going to see a vision of the, the sky full of angels, but the message is still the same. The same message that was given to those shepherds is the same message to you. If you've not seen Jesus yet, here's the message. Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people, including you. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. If you're here today and you're like one of those shepherds and you don't know who Jesus is yet, I want to tell you that Jesus has come for you. He's come for you. The things in this world may seem upside down right now. Our community is divided, our anger and frustration, depression, fear, loneliness, and many other things seems to seem to be ruling the day. But Jesus is good news of great joy. He has come to save us. If you don't know Jesus, I invite you today to, to welcome him into your life, to invite Jesus to come into your heart, to welcome him into you. Ask Jesus to come into your life to see what these shepherds saw, Jesus, your Savior, and the Savior for all the people. And maybe today you know Jesus, but you're not experiencing his joy right now. Maybe the things of this world have become extremely difficult and heavy. I want to tell you a story. A few months ago, as we were coming out of summer, I was feeling pretty excited. Um, I was looking forward to the new ministry year. I just come off of a sabbatical. It was exciting to look forward to what was about to happen. We were all celebrating the open for summer here in Alberta, which represented zero COVID restrictions, which was wonderful. We had just hired Pastor Nate as our student ministries pastor, which was just exciting. And pastor Amy had uh, some amazing ideas for, for how we were going to kick off this fall, how we were going to get our groups, our small groups up and running again. We planned our fall kickoff, and we were ready for things to move forward coming out of over a year of COVID uncertainty. It felt like we were, we were just so excited to get some wheels under us again. And then, boom, the restrictions came back on. And it really took the wind out of my sails. And for about a month, I was feeling fairly joyless. I was feeling kind of hopeless. And I certainly didn't feel like I had very much peace. Last week, Pastor Amy spoke about peace 
and describe peace as something that doesn't come from our surroundings or our circumstances. But in fact, peace is something that we have in us, regardless of what's happening around us. Now, back in September, I had some good reasons for being without joy, based on my outward circumstances. And perhaps you've been in that kind of a place before as well, a place where the outward circumstances have kind of dictated how you feel. And I was at that place. Well, at some point in October, I was uh, talking with Jesus. And for quite a while, I've had this practice um, where I picture myself in the throne room of God, sitting with Jesus and listening to what the Father says to me. You guys know from the book of Ephesians that we are seated in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So I like to picture myself seated with Christ Jesus in the throne room of God because that's where God says that I am. And so I picture myself there. But I hadn't done this for a little while. I'd allowed the circumstances around me to kind of overwhelm me. So in October, as I began speaking to Jesus, I began to, again, picture myself sitting with Jesus in the throne room of God. And if you haven't done this before, I encourage you to do this. It's a reality of what God says about where we are and where we're seated, so we can do this. While I was doing this back in October, God began to show me again that I had been given gifts because of Jesus Christ. I had been given joy regardless of my circumstances, hope in spite of hardships, peace in the middle of the storm. My Heavenly Father revealed that He loved me, like He really, really loved me, even when I was far off. I was filled afresh with the Holy Spirit as he brought patient endurance into me. And on and on God went, revealing to me again and again and again the gifts that he was placing in me. Things that I had kind of stuck in the Tupperware dishes and tossed into the back of my refrigerator and forgotten about. In those times in the throne room, God began to help me unpack those gifts again. And if you're here today and you're not experiencing the joy that Jesus has already given you, perhaps you, like me, need to spend some time in the throne room this week. Spend some time sitting at the feet of Jesus and receiving again what he's given to you. And I want to actually just lead you through this right now. We're just going to do a, a, a small taste of being in the throne room. So would you just please close your eyes for a moment? In Ephesians chapter 2, this is what God reveals to us. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So while you have your eyes closed, I want you to picture in your mind the truth of what God says to you here in Ephesians that you are seated with Christ in God's throne room. There you are with your heavenly Father who loves you, with Jesus Christ who is your Savior and friend, and with the Holy Spirit who brings the presence of Jesus into your heart. And picture for a moment your heavenly Father giving you a gift. Don't say it out loud, but just in your mind, what is it? What is the gift that he gives you? Take a look at the gift God has given you, and see what it is. Hear his words spoken to you and experience his presence 
right now. What does your Heavenly Father have for you today? I want to encourage you to spend more time with Jesus in the throne room this week. But for now, let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for these gifts. Thank you, Father, that you have placed us, you've seated us in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that we and everyone can experience your incomparable grace and the riches of your kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Thank you today for the gift of joy, the good news of great joy that is for all people. And thank you that we get to experience your presence. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So my, I have a challenge for you as you, uh, as you spend some time this week, uh, perhaps going into the throne room and listening to what God would speak over you, listening to what your Heavenly Father has to say to you, that you would tell someone about what gift He reveals to you. So share with someone this week, you know, as I spend some time with Jesus, here's what He said to me. Here's what gift He gave to me. And my, my prayer for you today is that you would experience the, the unhindered, flamboyant, exceeding joy of God over you. That you would know that he is just head over heels in love with you. And that you would be filled with that joy until it oozes out of you all over the place. So I bless you in the name of Jesus Christ to receive everything that he has for you. You receive everything he has for you, that you would see your heavenly father the way that he really is, that he loves, loves, loves you, and he's dancing over you with exceeding joy, that you would experience the, the freshness of walking in relationship with Jesus Christ, and that you'd be filled to overflowing with his Holy Spirit. In Jesus Christ's name, amen, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you would like more information about us or find out ways to contact us, visit our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com. We pray today that you would experience the love, presence, and power of Jesus Christ and then make him known.